So, the theme for the uh, afternoon talk is the Dharma that is difficult to see. I have in front of me a copy of the Middle Length Discourses, and I am referring to the first uh, for, to the discourse called the Noble Search, and part of the. Uh, reason for that is uh, um, to give you and myself some uh, uh, comfort in the initial statements of the Buddha immediately after the night of awakening and in the weeks that uh, followed where he engaged in the reflection. And it's number 26. And then he reflected. So I'll read the translation to you and then follow on from that with a commentary. I considered, said the Buddha, this Dharma that I have attained is profound, hard to see, hard to understand, peaceful and sublime unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle to be experienced by the wise. But this generation delights in worldliness. It is hard for such a generation to see this truth, namely specific conditionality and dependent arising. It is hard to see this truth, namely the stillness of all the formations, the letting go, the ending of craving and desire, and nirvana, liberation. He then says, if I were to teach this Dharma, others would not understand me and it would be wearying and troublesome. And then he came up with some stanzas, some verses, spontaneously. Enough, he says, with teaching the Dharma. This is after the awakening. <laughs> that even I found hard to teach, for it will never be perceived by those caught up in attraction and aversion. Um, they, they will never um, uh, discern, recognize, understand they, uh, this abstruse dharma which goes against the worldly stream subtle deep and difficult to see this is his first response to what he had realized and um, I read from it and uh, quote so that if this afternoon 
we find it difficult, subtle, and hard to see. We're in good company. All right. <laughs> yeah. In the uh, uh, exploration here, with the encouragement uh, and invitation for the themes uh, this afternoon, just like to explore from the ground of the middle way of dependent arising, of nature of uh, uh, liberation, and particularly, and the important aspect here is the kind of views which arise, which we kind of take for granted, and we repeat it so frequently to ourselves and others. We get the idea, or we imagine, that the view is the confirmation of the reality. No, thank you. And. One of the views in the worldly view of things, easily taken for granted, is there is me, myself, and there is the world. We spoke a little earlier on and expressed our concern and our uh, uh, compassion for the events that are currently taking place in, uh, in uh, Japan. And from the place, should we say, of uh, self and other. There uh, rises, we are affected, we are touched by that. But in some way or other, it does reinforce, even with the concerns that we have, I am here, in this case Japan is uh, over there, and that's the reality of things. And it's the form of language in the worldly conditions which you and I use as a matter of course uh, day by day. And the sheer frequency reinforces again and again and strengthens the view to the point that the view seems the truth. It seems that's the reality. Here I am. I am living in this world, there is the world that I live in, and one day I'm getting older and I will die. That's the true reality of things, that's the truth of things. And that is the worldly view. And sometimes, naturally enough, human beings have consistently reacted against with this view feel, as it is, a kind of imprisoned state of affairs for us to uh, uh, be in, and have therefore endeavoured to find another view which helps undermine or change or shake up uh, that view. It's as if we want, as if we want, a higher purpose for being. And when that happens, human beings, we have constructed a metaphysics, something out of the order of things, out of the worldly view, which is transcendent to it, which goes under the general language of spirituality, or it goes under the general language of religion, and that helps to change that other view and give some higher purpose to one's existence, we might call it belief in God. We might call it a promise of the afterlife. Uh, we might 
call it being um, sons and daughters of the divine, and that gives a different kind of feeling to life, which gives us some consolation for aging, sickness and death. We have something transcendent to believe in, so it makes the transitions into death uh, easier. And there is some promise that goes along with it of some afterlife in some form, whether it's called rebirth or going to heaven or whatever. And human beings have consistently taken comfort, either in the secular view, the worldly view, or in the religious view, or in the meeting of the two, the two going uh, together. The Buddha had great, um, shall we say, uh, experience uh, of both, but he also, in the worldly, also included the spiritual as well. And there is a clear recognition of some of the values of the worldly life uh, there, with moderation, with ethics, with various social concerns. And you and I are very well known, and often in many cases, from the kind of work that we are engaged in, which is in the kind of worldly framework uh, of things, that much of our intentionality is to relieve suffering. And when there are tragedies and dramas, whether on the personal level or whether on a very large scale, such as the tsunami uh, in Japan, one of the immediate responses that we have is, what do we have to do so that this suffering doesn't happen again? What are the steps that we can take to help protect people? And sometimes that has called for inquiry and research and investigation and looking at the events there and what happens in natural catastrophes. The Buddha is extraordinarily supportive of this. There are some very good accounts of this in which human beings from the worldly standpoint, the everyday standpoint, including us in the hall here, are making steps every day to see what ways, what are the conditions, what we can do to resolve the suffering uh, as part of a noble and important uh, way of life. Nevertheless, it isn't fulfilling. This word fulfilling is a key uh, theme and uh, concept. And when we move to the other aspect, the other extreme, or the other side, so to speak, there is a real recognition, and this is also of a deep and important interest for human beings, or a number of what counts for us as a genuine and authentic spiritual experience. And again, Dharma teachings are a real important recognition of the valuable role spiritual experiences play in human life. And there isn't any rejection of them. There isn't any kind of undermining. And so the Buddha, from his experience, and for some or some of us, 
from our experience as well, has designated or described or referred to some of the very important spiritual experiences which are available to human beings. And they range from very deep and important levels of uh, inner depth of experience, which is referred to as deep absorptions. And so it's not unusual um, for some people, either spontaneously or in practice, to uh, have very deep meditation experiences in which the being is suffused with happiness and joy and there is in those experiences, whatever the level, some level of freedom. One feels remarkably uh, light, grounded, centered and happy and truly untroubled in which there are no problematic states of mind. And these experiences which uh, take, uh, take place, there's no indication of attraction, aversion, uh, agitation, boredom, anxiety, fears, problems which beset humanity. And a person can say with quite some validity with these spiritual experiences, wow, I feel incredibly free in those times. And there is an authentic freedom in those times. The freedom in those times is, as is pointed out, is related to the form. The form might be called meditation, the form of the communication, the form of being with another, uh, the, the time of the day, the being in, in the nature. And there is the recognition of how important these experiences are, and it would be a very poor life which doesn't have regularly authentic spiritual experiences. It would be a poor life without them uh, there. But he takes it a step further as well, and into the formless realm of spiritual experiences. And one of them, which would be common to uh, many, uh, many of us, is the formless of experience which is an extraordinary sense of spaciousness, of infinite spaciousness, of an incredible sense of um, uh, expansion that takes place. And sometimes in that uh, uh, spaciousness, one feels and experiences a sense that one can accommodate everything, include everything. There is that sense of vaster openness uh, in those uh, uh, times, and there is no wanting, nor desire, nor need for anything, anywhere, you know, inwardly and outwardly. And there is the, the recognition of that. Sometimes, for some people, there is in those experiences a view arising that this experience is the ultimate experience. The ultimate experience of a sense of in the infinity of a spacious way of being in which the divisions of inner and outer drop away. So that the view of self and other, me in the world, that view 
is replaced in the deep spiritual experience with another view of extraordinary spaciousness. And therefore the issues around self and other drop away. So it's not surprising, therefore, that some people will take the view, ah, this incredible sense of infinite spaciousness is the ultimate state. Because there's no self or other. And there is the subtlety which can go a step further, steps actually uh, further, in which the spaciousness and the sense of that can seem and feel to be quite gross. And in the subtlety uh, 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 which takes uh, place there, the subtlety is such that the sense is actually it's the purest condition of consciousness. And in consciousness, that consciousness can reveal anything and everything. It can reveal everything that's going on internally. It can reveal everything that's taking place externally. So the consciousness becomes, as it were, the hub. It becomes the true self. It becomes the essence of who I am. And this consciousness then appears, seems and is felt and experienced to be infinite in its capacity. And therefore, the view arises different from self and other, which is one view, different from infinite spaciousness without self and other, which is another view, to consciousness is the great container, is the great accommodator. Therefore, everything, without exception, rests in consciousness. Consciousness is infinite. Consciousness has no measurement to it. And consciousness can embrace everything, inwardly and outwardly, without exception. And therefore, consciousness, with a capital C, is the true nature of things. All is consciousness. And it's only consciousness which can confirm inner life and outer life. Therefore, the supreme element of life is consciousness. And this view, remember, it's the view. This view is not born from um, reasoning. It's not born from cerebral ideas. It's actually born from experience. It's the experience of the yogi. It's the experience of the meditator. It's the experience of the one, uh, so to speak, who has dived very deeply into consciousness. And these and uh, other expressions uh, uh, of experience do, in very authentic and genuine ways, do change people's lives. They change the values. In the changing of, of the values, one shifts even more to a more subtle level and the uh, of of infinite no thing not nothing it's akinjana it means no thingness and that view arises and in that view once again it's not a trivial view 
It's born from very deep and profound experiences. And in that view which arises, the idea of different things called sentient and insentient, this being different from that, uh, that view ceases to be the reality, which is the conventional worldly viewpoint. And in the experience of no-thingness, and that applying everywhere, it reveals a profound sense of oneness. If I, as a viewer of the world, as a, in a perception of the world, do see everything as different from each other, and I'm kind of reacting or responding to all of those differences, and I think the world is nothing but differences, and every object, everything is different from everything else, that view would block me from the experience and uh, the view of a profound sense of oneness. Because in the profound sense of oneness, the view of differences at that time fades away. So this... These kind of experiences don't fall into the category of of worldly conditions, worldly conditions as defined by the Buddha, nor do they fall into the category of religious beliefs. They fall in the Buddha's Dharma into the category, shall we we say, of spiritual experiences. The Buddha shared in this discourse and elsewhere, shared these kind of spiritual experiences which I referred to, genuinely recognized the value and the importance of them. There is, in fact, a tremendous encouragement to develop them. There's a tremendous encouragement to really utilize and bring into our life profound spiritual experiences to, so to speak, counteract the common view of self and other and all that goes along uh, with it, the attractions of, um, uh, towards things or people and the aversion towards and that imprisonment which uh, uh, is a feature of worldly life, shall we put it uh, there. The explanation of that, that means of the spiritual experiences, what tends easily to happen, and as a Dharma teacher, of course, I hear this with regularity, is that the spiritual experiences that I referred to, from deep meditation to these formless, infinite experiences, have such an impact on us because they make us see things so differently, so dramatically differently, uh, that easily the outcome is to elevate, and this is where the Buddha's departure uh, starts to take place, this is where the realizations start to come, that the uh, experiences, those very deep, profound spiritual experiences, not worldly, not belonging to belief in religion, are then elevated, humanly enough, into the ultimate category. And this is where the departure begins. There is no, in the Dharma, there is no such thing as absolute truth. It just is not anywhere in the language. 
And the reason for it would be, if there is an absolute uh, truth, one would have to start naming what that is. And once one starts caught out or uh, engaged in the naming, it's going to bring some duality of those who have a different absolute truth. And we know what happens with human beings when we get into that box. The problematic issue, this is where the departures starting to get uh, 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 stronger. The problematic aspect of the very profound experience is for the human being is one enters into it and comes out of it. And this is the problematic issue. And what that means is, though I, as a human being, may, may have that experience, in the departure from it, I have to depart back into another viewpoint. And that viewpoint, which I enter back into, because the experience has faded, is different from the viewpoint I just had. So I may have a profound sense of oneness, this deep sense of the infinity of consciousness which accommodates everything, an extraordinary sense of spaciousness which seems to have no limits to it, and then the experience, the feeling, the quality fades, and where am I? I'm back with an old view. And if I have elevated one view, the spiritual experience view, into the ultimate, I will have to long for it. I will have to feel dissatisfied. God, I'm now back into my old mindset with my old views and opinions and the world is and myself and dealing with the world and all these daily life worldly issues and I just want to get back to that incredibly transcendent transformative experience in my life and we move backwards and forwards between the two the Buddha's discourse is the recognition and appreciation of the worldly experience in terms of as a valuable resource for insight and understanding. It's an appreciation of the spiritual experience. It's a recognition of religious beliefs and the power and support that they can uh, give human beings. There's no uh, rejection of all of that. But it is to bring in the fresh discourse which is not of religion, not of spirituality per se, and it's not of worldly. And that fresh discourse, he comes up with the words, just to remind in case you've forgotten. This Dharma is profound, hard to see, hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle to be experienced by the wise. The invitation with the exploration here is is it possible to be shall we say free from the duality I've had this experience now it's over the wonderful views that I touched upon in those experiences have passed I'm now back into some other kind of views there and maybe maybe the experience which I had, I'll have that again, and I'll have a taste of it again, and that was nirvana, which 
That's what one refers to as nirvana. I went into nirvana, I experienced it, then it disappeared, and then I'm back. Is that our life, this movement backwards and forwards between a, something which we conceive of as nirvana and something which is rather samsaric between the two? And in the movement uh, uh, away uh, from this there then brings into line or brings into focus our relationship uh, to life and it brings into focus this rather profound amusing here but I agree obviously um, uh, profound understanding which is around the nature of dependent arising and it's the thread it's the unmistakable unshakable uh, thread which runs through the whole uh, body of the of the teachings and it is subtle it is deep and it is to be experienced and uh, known by the wise when at times you and I are not very wise which regularly or not <laughs> uh, uh, there it, it means that there is a loss of seeing of dependent arising and there is the attributing to a particular and giving it selfhood this is remember difficult hard to see hard to be clear about so I say these things a few times with mantra enthusiasm, you know, forgive me. When, I'll repeat, when there isn't the seeing, our understanding of dependent arising, just not seeing dependent arising, at, and therefore the wisdom isn't present, at that time, the movement that is going on, some pro proliferation of thought, projection, papancha, there, distortion or whatever, at that time it is to give, and this is the human problem, to give selfness to the event. That is the essential human problem. So let us say, I am a human being, and I have a difficulty with somebody else. And in that, I experience in myself some reaction which is taking place. And my reaction is interpreting that person in a certain way. We do this plenty uh, enough from friends and loved ones to our political leaders and many, many others. And in the reaction that's taken place, I am giving selfness to her or him. I am taking her and him out of dependent arising, and I am placing her or him into a self-category, into a box. You are like this. You did this to me. And the indication of this or the proof of, of this is my suffering over the situation. That is the signal. That is the mark 
of a human being who is seeing selfness. There is no selfness there. If there was a selfness there, keeping in the dynamic here, uh, of the other person as the example here, if there was selfness there, it would mean that the person is independent of the causes and conditions which make her or him up. There's selfness, separate from, not connected to. This is the fiction. This is the, the myth, the belief, the idea that human beings live under. And there's no truth in it. And the way that human beings know this clearly is because there is either suffering about it at the time or suffering later on. Sometimes we don't even feel our suffering. We don't even know we're suffering. We don't even know we're projecting. We're convinced of the selfness of. And the Buddha's Dharma, while recognizing, <clears throat> once again, worldly spiritual religion uh, and its function in uh, uh, human life, is also in the endeavor to liberate us from the exclusion of a particular experience to confirm something transcendent. And this has been in a very strong, strong wish. I mean, and to uh, take an example or two from uh, uh, talking with people uh, there. <clears throat> one would be, very, very common one, Christopher. I've, uh, I have this very deep longing inside of me for something. And I've, whatever, I have. I've sat retreats with you, I've been to the cave, I've been to India, I've been to workshops, I've had a sense, I've had a taste of something, and, uh, and just something's just, I feel it's just not quite complete, it's not fulfilled, I feel there's just something more there. And that deep longing, and some of you in the room have shared this with me, and others have, uh, uh, elsewhere obviously have, have shared, is something quite deep in the, in the, uh, in the fabric of the human, human, human being. Something more than what is available. And that longing, which doesn't have to have a, uh, any ego in it, it's not I, me, my, it's just arising um, at various times and, and we put it into the language of longing. And sometimes spiritual life and a religious life and sometimes secular life too, that longing may be moving and manifesting in different ways. The longing for a very deep communion with another human being. The longing for, to be with God. The longing for a profound experience the longing for enlightenment or liberation or whatever. And there, therefore the human being in such a time of experience can feel the gap between the longing and that which is longed for. It may be, at times, that gap, that bridge, that connection, 
the gap ends and the connection is made and the person may say that which I really really longed for really I, it's touched me I really now know what I long for I've really have felt that I've really experienced that and, and that does genuinely does happen the longing can find a fulfillment the longing also because there's no guarantee that it will find any fulfillment the longing can be with us through the life arising with various uh, strengths and intensities through the whole of the life from the dharma standpoint of the realization of the of the buddha with the acknowledgement of this the longing of the human being for the dharma teaching it is not essential that the longing is fulfilled and it's not a problem that the longing stays with the human being and the resolution and the discovery is to recognize the longing is dependently arising it's a such a shift in the view it's a shift in the view to liberate the human being into an understanding that the longing doesn't come from nowhere it comes because the conditions are there for it to arise and if that longing either in the short term or in the long term is fulfilled that one really has a feeling that that which i long for i have now found or i have now realized which is you know precious and beautiful and people give voice to that it still requires yeah in dharma language between the movement called longing and the completion of the longing either way at the deeper level hard and difficult to, to, to see it is still dependently arising and there the move therefore the 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 the, the buddha's dharma in its connection with or shall we say in its exploration of and once again going back to the very first words after those weeks under the tree there just communicating and reminding all of us how difficult it is to really see clearly that to understand the nature of dependent arising as a liberating element even from the problems around longing and that which is longed for because it's dependently arising and therefore it is not a matter of trying to complete or fulfill all of our longings it's a essential feature in the exploration going on too long in the uh, exploration uh, 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 of uh, uh, dependent uh, arising one of the precious elements about it uh, as well is that it allows shall we say um <clears throat> many kinds of freedom since there is no positing or uh, putting forwards some absolute truth to attain to because the movement in that way reinforces the idea of the attainer i want to get to this absolute truth and therefore the i has uh, uh gets as i said yesterday gets reinforced 
by that wanting to attain some absolute truth, which then has to be named and has to be described. And once named and described, it tends to enter into problems with others there. So in the um, freeing up which takes place, of which there are infinite expressions of it uh, there, that part of the freedom, one is a feature of the freedom that it takes, it allows the human being full freedom to explore what was, and we have no problem with what was in Dharma, to explore what is, and we have no problem with that either, and to explore what might be, with always in the exploration of uh, uh, what might be, to be mindful that due to dependent arising, due to dependent arising is the thread that runs through, if we lose the sense of that, when you and I give attention to the past, present or future, we will get out of touch with dependent arising. So in other words, I think about the past. And then, I think about the past. And then, I think about the past. And the excessive, excesses, the exaggeration of Thinking about the past, it does two things. This is the papancha, too much thinking. One, it generates the stress. And a stressful attention to the past cannot possibly see the past, clearly. Because it places us out of touch with the potential to see dependently arising in order to see what the insights are which will resolve any problem about it. So my stressful thinking about how things were with her, him, childhood, people, places, time, will not be seen under stress, therefore in papancha. That doesn't mean to say that I develop a view which is not an uncommon view in spirituality, but is not a view in Dharma, I do not have the view that there is only the now and that the past is an illusion. There's no, no, no the Buddha was, would never be so naive and foolish to champion these kind of views. There is the recognition of human's cap- human beings' capacity to look to the past, both near and past, and far distant past, which our uh, scientists uh, are doing much important research on, but never to conclude any kind of beginning. There is no first cause, either first cause called a god, or a first cause called Big Bang, because that is also what? Dependently arising. And therefore, the expense of dependently arising, much can be discovered and learned, which can inform us as human beings in our particular place and condition at this world. And rather similarly, one gives attention in the same way 
with enough wisdom to give support to the possibility of looking into the future which is distorted, the papancha again, with certain memories and feelings which trigger common condition for human beings of anxiety and fear with regard to the future which pre- prevents us from seeing dependently arising adequately enough about from today into tomorrow, next week and next year. We can't see dependently arising if the inner life is distorted in the perceptions and is, and is coloured. Even so, though there may be some steadiness in the being, <coughs> clarity of the human being, a certain uh, receptivity of consciousness, it is not possible, and this is where the humility of the human being comes in, it is not co- possible, even seeing dependently arising some of the factors clearly enough, obviously, to know what the future will be. Because the limitations of consciousness. Consciousness is shaped and formed. It's not infinite. If it was infinite, a person would be able to see everything that's going to happen. It isn't. And so in our relationship to that, the Buddha's Dharma Realistic, he made reference to it from his own experience as well and important for us. We may be seeing clearly, called the past, when we are seeing clearly the past, it will shed and bring some insights and understanding to us. Things will emerge that we didn't see before. That's beautiful. When we're seeing this present more clearly, we will see more. If I as a human being just spend a minute or two giving full mindfulness to the flower, a single flower, and really giving that flower real attention, I will connect with the petals and the leaves and uh, perhaps the naming of the flower and the plant and the roots and the earth and, what, and the conditions that bring about the flower. I'll feel closer to the flower and I'll see quite naturally, more clearly, what I'll see the dependent arising of the flower. I will know naturally and easily that it doesn't have its own self-existence. I'll know that it needs light and water and earth and air and soil and often and kindness for the flower to, uh, to grow. When I turn my attention to the future, because I'm a human being and I have that privilege to turn it, I don't say the future is false, or it's an illusion, or uh, it's a flight, or whatever. I'm interested in dependent arising, and maybe from some of the insights that I experience with the present, it may give me some indication of what might unfold in the future. But I'm humble enough and human enough to recognize I can't see everything that will happen. I cannot. No human being can uh, do that, but I may be able to be clear enough to see into the future, as it were, related to the wisdom of the present and the past, which is not going to feed suffering. And always the teachings is not 
being an, un, uh, an omniscient human being who knows all about the past, who knows all about the present and all about the future, but it's being a human being who has the freedom to look at yesterday, to look at today, and to look at what might be tomorrow without suffering over it. And then that again confirms to us or reveals to us another freedom. The freedom to be respectful to today, to yesterday and what might and uh, what might be. And it, it points, <coughs> if I may say again, once again, to this extraordinary sense of uh, interest independent arising, which is summarized in the text as owing to that, this is. If that is not there, this does not arise. And it's not that you and I, as it were, have to hold that dependently arising view all the time. It's impossible anyway, because it's dependently arising. So one can't hold to any view all the time. It's dependently arising. There are plenty of situations in your and my life where we are seeing quite clearly. It, there isn't any reactiveness which is going on. And if I can get to the... Uh, what's the word he, he, uh, 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 he says here? Um, <coughs> that um, um, the, 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 there is a stillness in the formations that we're not reacting. There is a stillness which is there. Um, there isn't holding on to anything. There isn't craving and desire uh, in any way whatsoever. And there is a genuine sense of authentic peace. So there are experiences and moments, and sometimes plenty of those moments, when there's nothing, as it were, agitated or moving inside of us which is wanting something. We're just letting things unfold. Sometimes in the New Age vernacular we say, oh, we're just being with the flow. Or things are just arising and passing. Or uh, there's just changes going on. Or we say, well, uh, this is how the situation is. Or... Uh, this is how the person is reacting, or whatever, whatever it might be. And from the standpoint of the inner life, the simple language that we might use or not use is a language which is, is some way of saying, because there's a certain calm and stillness in the being, it's a language which is saying one is aware of dependent arising. That's all. And all to put it the other way for a moment or two sometimes there are situations where dependent arising is also equally dependent passing and there are times in uh, your life and my life plenty of times when things come together there's the Dharma facilitators group are clearly dependently arising countless numbers of conditions have made it possible for us to, to be together and we're on the Saturday afternoon and then have uh, tomorrow morning some food at midday etc and the dependently arising is then dependently passing 
and we set off in our different uh, directions uh, there and uh, hopefully calmly in a stillness not craving for it to be different not holding on to anything and we're just in the rhythm of dependently arising, unfolding, dependently passing, unfolding, and we're with that uh, uh, rhythm. So when the human being is clear and wise, and shall we say, untroubled by events, and we're really in touch with them and responding wisely to them, it's another way of confirming there is a great freedom in this, it's a very precious freedom. It's a freedom which is intimately um, acknowledging this Patichat uh, Samyupada, the dependent arising, dependent uh, passing. There's no attempt to some absolute truth outside of it in any direction uh, whatsoever. There's no need for that. It can include longing. It can include the end of... Uh, uh, longing as well and it's intimately uh, connected shall we say with an unfolding process which there can be no confirmation of any beginning to it no first cause uh, anywhere and neither can there be any end to it either because it's an unfolding dependent uh, arising uh, uh, process and human beings as uh, in the engagement with, uh, uh, with uh, all of this see that in a way it's, um, <coughs> it, it's dependent arising is quite timeless it's timeless in, this, in, in the sense that it embraces all three fields of time it's not dependent in that way uh, tied in that way so that the sense of something timeless is unfolding and revealing and it's just that human beings when you and I as it were enter into it language here not reality when we enter into it then we might start break as it were with the view breaking it up and when we break it up we will give itself. So if we break it up, we'll say, oh, there is the past, and it gives itselfness. Unless we understand the dependent arising. We say, oh, here is the now, here is the present, and it gives it, that, as it were, separates it from yesterday and tomorrow. We say, oh, there is tomorrow. But if we're not engaged in making a past, a present or a future, not separating in any way, it is timeless. And if it is timeless, it has no birth and death. If it's timeless, it's free. If it's timeless, it's not bound to time. And this we can truly discover even as we engage in the apparent view that there is time which is called the past, which is called the present, and which is called the future. Quite something, I have to say. It is quite something. 
we kind of engage with the so-called world and in, in a way the world is just a view because for there to be a world we have to take out a ball and call it the world and separate it from everything else in reality there is no world in reality it's a, the world is a view which the self forms by separation and sometimes we realize there is no world it is just what dependently arising <laughs> it doesn't have a self-existence and every little change in the climate every little blink from the sun every little movement of the moon every little event that goes on out in space and all that affects life only reminds us that the nature of the world doesn't have any self-existence it is also dependently arising uh, there and the the discourse of the Buddha is such a I, I obviously and as he says himself it's such a profound discourse and part of the reason that it's so profound because it would be extremely hard to say this is not true so in the nature of the uh, response we take as was said uh, uh, earlier the conventions and uh, to repeat a little bit the Buddha doesn't have any problem with the language called human beings in the world called consciousness and mind and body you know, or, and other ways that he breaks it down there takes the conventions takes the values of profound spiritual uh, experiences no problem with the discourse of duality self and uh, self and the world but keeps coming back to the point that the language and those constructions which have a human convenience to them are there However, and it's the major however, if that is given the reality as there is the self independent from and there is the world independent from, there will be suffering. Human beings will suffer due to this view. And the Buddha says there is the resolution of this suffering through the clear understanding, the wisdom of dependent arising while still making allowances for the usual view about self and the world, human beings and life, uh, and all the conventions of it. But the dependent arising is not to negate the view. You know, it is clear view, wise view. The Buddha teaches the development of the mind. He doesn't teach the mind is a problem. He doesn't say thought is a problem. He doesn't negate the mind, as some traditions do. He just says that we can explore in these ways 
simply to take the dukkha, the suffering, the anguish, the stress, the problem out of the situation. That's the key liberating uh, message that comes to us. And therefore it genuinely allows the use of the everyday language. But if the everyday language is made into the ultimate reality, through lack of spiritual experiences, through holding to a view, through the absence of the wisdom of dependent arising, it will be a problem. And the precious thing, finally and briefly, uh, uh, with this, that in the fading away of the giving of selfness to what that which does not have selfness, in the fading away of that, the response in the inner life is a genuine, natural uh, response of uh, empathy and uh, of love and concern for those who suffer through the belief in selfness. And that triggers and brings uh, out of us uh, a real uh, care and concern. And as we explore more, it will stand out for us when there is um, an inner peace with different situations, and therefore we are seeing dependently arising, as the, the Buddha said, and when selfness is given, we've invested too much in the view, in the interpretation, and we've grasped in some way or other, that in fact will stand out more clearly. It will just be more apparent to us when we're reactive. And when we recognize that inside of us, it does, again, texts confirm this, it naturally brings out a response of uh, regret, very powerful, of um, uh, some cl fresh clarity about a situation, sometimes some uh, apology, or some communication, because we've seen, oh, I've been caught up in this, it's had an impact, there's an understanding of dependent arising is more clear, and we naturally wish to respond to it. And, and the precious thing about that, it, it's, it's such a, a contribution to a free way of life, which consistently acknowledges those times and moments in our life where we have given selfness, separateness to a situation, invested in it, and then not seeing clearly. Enough, I think. Thank you for uh, listening. Let's have a quiet minute, shall we? May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be mindful of worldly and spiritual experiences. May all beings live a wise and liberated way of life. <laughs>